on page 903. It's from John, chapter 17, page 903. We're going to read verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to jump to 20. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I am. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I have to confess that the last time that I taught about sex and relationships in church, um, a surprising thing happened. So it, it was an early in my ministry. I was a young pastor in uh, Sumter, South Carolina, um, and, um, and it was a marriage course, and, and, and this was the night where we talked about sex, right? This is, this is the night we talk about that, and, and the way that the marriage course was is you'd have about 20 minutes of teaching, then the couples would break off um, as, as couples and do some questions and have some discussions for about 15 minutes, and then they'd come back and there'd be another teaching, and then... Uh, then they would go away, and then there was homework. Well, so I'm teaching this first session, and it's time for the for for the discussion time, time for the, for the breakout time. And I and I say, okay, you've got 15 minutes to answer these uh, questions with with your spouse. And I watched one of the couples, an older couple, just leave. And I said, okay, you know, maybe it was a bit too much for them. You know, maybe they've got child care things, although their children are kind of older now. So I'm not, you know, whatever. 14 minutes and 55 seconds later, they come walking back in with the most devilish grin on their faces that you've ever seen. And one of their best friends looks over and just says, oh, no. That's right, because 35 feet from where we were all sitting, they went out of the parking lot and did their homework. <laughs> so what, what does that mean? What that means is, is that if you get up and walk out, we're all going to be staring at you during this, this talk. Right? But so why are, we, why are we doing this, right? Well, there are all kinds of reasons why we're focusing on this topic. 
but, um, but, but it's in the context of our, um, of our uh, winter sermon series called, uh, called Happiness. Happiness. What is it really? Why do we want it? And we've looked at all kinds of, of themes, and, and, and starting last week, we began to look at what are the obstacles to our happiness? What, what gets in the way? And last week, we talked about how, our, how when we locate our true happiness with money, with material things, that can get in the way of true happiness. And this week, we're going to, to look at how um, when we locate, when we put, uh, if you will, the foundation of our true happiness with sex and relationships, that's going to get in the way of real happiness. In fact, it will rob us of true happiness. Why? Because at the heart of every human being is this deep desire for happiness in relationships. Because, and, you know, it is true. Whenever I think the church or anyone else talks about relationships and sex and why it's so sort of overwhelming in our, in our world, in our hearts, and in our minds, well, we blame culture, right? Well, it's true. I mean, our culture does tell us that real happiness is found in physical relationships. It's found in that, um, it's found in earthly relationships, earthly romantic ones. If I just find the right person, then I'll be happy. If we have that chemistry, then I'll be happy. But I think it's too easy to blame this obsession on our culture. I think our culture certainly can pour gas on a fire, but it didn't start the fire. The fire is already there. And I would argue that the fire is not a bad thing. In fact, the fire is a good thing. And so, so today, I want to look at what our scripture says is the real reason why we look for true happiness in relationships, especially physical ones, but also where we can truly find the happiness that our heart craves. So, probably not the first passage, John 17. Now, we skipped around some. Uh, we started in uh, 17, 1, 3, 3, then we skipped over to a verse 20. I'll be skipping around some too, so if you want to grab the Bible close to you, turn to page 903. Uh, once again, we skipped from verse 3 all, all the way over to verse 20. But um, some context for, for the scripture. What's going on here? What's happening in uh, chapter 17? Well, what we have here is what, is, is what most uh, theologians have called Christ's high priestly prayer. He's had the Last Supper with his disciples. He's walking to the Garden of Gethsemane where he will be arrested and that will become, uh, be, begin a suffering uh, for, for our sins. But here we get this incredible glimpse into the intimate heart of Christ. Here Jesus prays for himself, prays for his disciples, but also prays for us before being delivered over to be crucified. And if you look at verse 3, all it kind of hinges on this one word. And this is eternal life, he prays to the Father. That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That they know you. Now, what's fascinating is, is Jesus uses the same word in other 
in, in other Gospels to describe the knowledge that a, that a married couple has of each other. Now, of course, we tend to reduce that down to a physical knowing, right? And we'll talk about that later. Um, but when we look at the full context of what Jesus says here, we get actually a much more beautiful picture of what knowing means. Skipping over to a verse uh, 21. Um, the Father is in me, and I am in you, Jesus tells us. That they may be in us, in the Trinity, that we may be part of God, if you will. That they may be one, he, he cries out, as you and I are one. I have, look at verse 26, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Do you hear that? Oneness in each other. What incredible language of intimacy. And what Jesus is saying, no less, is that the, the line between where we are with, with the Lord is, is a glory one. We don't become God. We don't get made into God. That's not what I'm talking about. We don't share in the essence of him. But what we do share in, through the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us is the most incredible intimacy that two beings could ever have. Now, why is that? Well, what Jesus is doing, I'm going to take us all the way back to the start. What Jesus is, is doing is he's pointing out that we are made in the image of God. Now, this means a lot of things, but for our purposes, it means this, is that we, every single human being, is built for incredible, intimate relationship. You see, we worship a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who for all eternity has been deeply in love with each other. They're three separate persons. And yes, they're maybe the same God stuff, the same, same essence, if you will, but what makes them one in a relational sense is that there's no secret hidden. They... The Father fully knows the Son and the Spirit, and the Spirit fully knows the Father and the Son, and the Father knows the Son and the Spirit. I'm going to start repeating my, myself if I haven't already. The idea is that they're looking deeply into each other, and they're enjoying the love. There's no fear of the other. There's no worry or doubt of being cast out. And so, the, so, so these three members of the, of, of the Trinity are in such love with each other their love is overflowing. But they said, let's create a being that can enjoy this level of love too. We want them to join in this love that we have for each other, that they might know the joy of that. And so we were created to be beings that crave this deep intimacy. And in fact, we're not fully human when we don't have it. And you see, when we look at it this way, this is why we are so quick to look for true happiness in relationships on earth. We're made for it. The fire is a good thing. We need that level of intimacy and love and openness 
Like we need water and we need air and we need food. And this desire for real intimacy is so strong that even our sin can't destroy it. But here's the catch. Sin can't destroy it, but sin can certainly misdirect it. You, you see, the problem with us is not that we desire this depth of intimacy. The problem is, is that we look to the wrong source for this intimacy. We look to people to give us this. Pulitzer Prize winning author Ernest Becker in his book, The uh, Denial of Death, writes this. He says, the love partner in our culture has become the divine idea within which to fulfill one's life. All spiritual and moral needs now become focused on the individual. In one word, the love object, the love object, the person that we love, has become God. After all, what is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to the position of God? We want redemption and nothing less. Now what he's saying there is that we don't want, we don't think that we're eternally saved in our spouse. But we do work or in our partner, in our relational partner, in our romantic partner. But we do think that we are psychologically saved when this person loves us. And, and uh, Pastor Tim, Tim Keller commenting on this actual quote from uh, Becker writes this. He says, we have loaded all of our deepest needs of our hearts for significance into romance. We maintain the fantasy that if we find our one true soulmate, everything wrong with us will be healed. No romantic partner, no human being is qualified for that role. No one could ever live up to that. The inevitable result is bitter disillusionment. About seven or eight years ago, um, I was at just a tough time in my life. Work was incredibly frustrating. Um, I felt invisible. I felt I was disappearing. I felt useless. And it was, um, I remember it was in April, and April was always an incredibly busy time for my wife. She has a tremendous amount of schoolwork, very technical documents that she has to, to work on. And, and so and this is her tax time, right? If she was an accountant, this is her tax time. So I kind of you know, dragged myself in the door. I let my body language be known to all that I'm really sad. You know, so I'm going to walk in, you know, give the undeniable marks of I'm sad and I need attention. Somebody come and give me attention. And so Lizzie comes downstairs and she gives me a hug and she says, looks like it's been, been a tough day. Give me five minutes and I'm all yours. And so what did loving passionate, spirit-filled Hamilton Smith do. I got really angry. And I, and I thought, you're a terrible wife. You failed me. You're not meeting my, you're putting work ahead of me. You're not meeting my needs. And the Holy Spirit did two incredibly generous things. First, he kept my stupid mouth shut. Okay? <laughs> this was all happening upstairs. But then he said this. He said, Hamilton, no person could ever meet your needs. 
Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can. Are you like me? Are you looking for that true, intimate relationship where you can truly be, if you will, emotionally and spiritually naked in front of someone without fear of rejection or abandonment or judgment? Are you looking for, for that in a relationship here on earth? Are you perpetually disappointed by the romantic partners in your life? They're never meeting what you need. They're never giving you what you've asked of them. And what culture promises that they should, should give you. Well, if you're like me, the good news is that we find what we've always wanted. We find what our hearts crave, what we're built for. Not on earth, but in Jesus Christ. But in Jesus Christ. Now, before we talk about this, this more in depth, um, I need to talk about the one thing that we often associate with uh, relationships that will sort of give, give us ultimate happiness in that sense. That's the physical part, right? Now, let's, let's go back to put this thing of sex, this concept of a physical relationship in context. Once again, remember, we are, cre we are all created for true, deep, intimate, personal relationships. It's part of our being. It's part of our substance. We must be truly known and truly know a, another. We can't not be that way. But here's the catch with sex. What we most deeply desire, this great intimacy, is what we're the most terrified to actually seek. Why? Because if we let someone know us, they will hurt us. We let them into our secret garden, show them our favorite flowers, show them our favorite ACDC album, right? Yeah. That's, that's right. That's right. They might criticize it. They might reject it. They might stomp around with, with, with big boots. Or vice versa. There are those of us in this room that are terrified of the intimate relationships that we greatly de desire because we've been the one that stomped around. We've hurt others and now we've lost trust in ourselves. We don't want to hurt anyone anymore, so we just stay back. But yet we can't not just stay back. We have to be intimate, but we're terrified of being intimate. How do we solve this, this dilemma? With our bodies. Because you see, physical intimacy promises the intimacy that we crave, but it's a lot safer. In fact, I would argue that physical intimacy is actually the least intimate relationship that people can actually have. All you're doing is giving them your body. That's it. You don't have to give them your hopes, your dreams. You don't have to share anything of, of yourself. You don't have to actually be vulnerable with them. We're not giving them our true selves. We're just giving them the outside. And we can more easily change the outside, can't we? We live in Mount Pleasant. You can freeze anything <laughs> off of your body. 
So we throw our bodies at each other, seeking that acceptance and affirmation. But if we're honest, what's, what's so frustrating is that it doesn't work. We're not satisfied. This is, I'm going to get all kind of phone calls from my accountability partners who like help me monitor what I watch on the internet for the research I did for, for this thing. Because I found this 2015 article, or, this, or this, this article, which in 2015 was a nationwide study that showed that 75% of people in this country have sex in total darkness. Total darkness. Why? Well, there, there are many reasons. Perhaps my favorite is that a small per per percentage said that because it saves money. <laughs> okay. But of course, we all know the real reason. You don't have to be a scientist, you have to be a social scientist, you just have to be a human being to figure this out, right? Who cares? We want to show them who we really are. And so what's fascinating here is that even in the most seemingly intimate moment, right, I'm really sharing myself with you and you're sharing myself with me and all that's going on. You still want to be invisible. You still want to hide. You still don't want them to know you. So we rush to sex and relationships, to make us happy, to give us that sense of being wanted and being intimately with someone, but they don't. And in fact, they actually steal our happiness. Last week, Rob Sturdy said that uh, this phrase is great, write it down. Follow your heart, find your treasure, right? Wherever your heart takes you, that's going to be what your heart values above all things. But I want to put a negative twist on that. Put a negative twist on that. And it's this. Follow your fears. Find your treasure. What are you terrified of not getting? <clears throat> and once you have it, what are you terrified of not losing? How many of us are perpetually terrified of either not being in a relationship or losing one? How many of us were so driven by this deep desire to really connect with someone that even though we knew it was wrong, we were physically intimate with them because it was worth the risk. I'll make an exception. There are so many people in my life that I love in this church, outside of this church, who are so focused on this deep, intimate relationship that they live lives not of happiness, but of perpetual disappointment with romantic relationship followed by romantic relationship followed by romantic relationship. So, what's the answer? Well, yes, of course. It's knowing Jesus, right? Of course, if you haven't connected the dots, if you haven't heard me say it already, where we find this true, intimate sense of being loved and being known, warts and all, the only person that we're truly naked in front of, mind, body, and soul, is our God. 
He looks at us and says, despite of your ugliness, of your sinfulness, of your failure, you're still mine. I still love you. The only place we can really find this intimacy that our heart craves is, is with him. And with that, I want to end with one very practical point. And then a word of encouragement. The practical point is, I pray you're asking, well, how do I do this? I mean, the Lord seems so far away. He's up there. I'm here. People are right here. I can see and touch them. That's a little bit more real, right? How in the world can I be, can I really have this need for intimate relationships satisfied? Do I read the Bible? Of course you do. Do I come to church? Of course you do. Do I participate in, in, in the relationships in this church? It's a great way to feel the love of Christ. But I want to leave you with one thing. Pray. If you do not feel intimate with God, let me encourage you to pray. And by praying, I don't mean setting up one more distance thing. I'll look at the prayer on the internet, you know. Um, I went to someone's house one time, and, and they knew I was going to ask them to say the blessing, and they looked up four blessings. And I could tell, and it wasn't them. It wasn't their heart. It was, they were trying to impress God, trying to impress me. A lot easier to impress than, than that God is. Now, the kind of prayer that I'm talking about is just that deep conversation where you're so at peace, you can open up your heart and your mind and all of your fears and all of your doubts and all of your worries. In fact, if you really want to become intimate with God, start with, with confession. Pour out to him all the things that you have done and wish you had done. Pour out to him all the ways that you failed, all the ways that you're embarrassed to come before his, his presence. And what you will find is that you will finally know at the depth of your heart that you're truly loved. Why? Because you only know that you're truly loved when you're loved at your worst. You're only, you only know that you're loved when you are so naked with all the lights on and they don't run away. And that is found in prayer. But, but a word of encouragement. I know many of us in this room have been striving after wrestling with God. Lord, give me this intimacy. I know you're the answer, but I have to be honest with you. It doesn't feel satisfactory. It doesn't feel like it's satisfying this craving for intimacy. Well, my encouragement to you and to me, because there are times where I feel like that too, is the problem is not that we've tried God and we found him deficient. We've exhausted him and we found him not needing what we need. The reality is, is that he's actually pulling us more deeply into what intimacy means. With every sacrifice, with every hope, with every resting in Him, we come to know the beautiful, soul-filling joy of what it means to be in real, intimate relationship. Why do we want it? Because we're made for it. Why do we go other places? Because we're sinners and we don't trust that God can love us this much. Why are we so obsessed with sex? Because it's a cheap substitute for real intimacy. 
What's the answer? Come to Him in prayer. Pour your heart out before Him. And know that He loves you and will never abandon or forsake you. And He looks at you in your nakedness and says, I want you. And this is good news for us sinners. Amen. Amen.